Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special Ryder Cup review edition of State of the Game. I'm Rod Murray. Thanks for tuning in. And after a few days to reflect on happenings at Medina Golf Club in Chicago, the 39th staging of the Ryder Cup almost seems more interesting now than when it was unfolding last week. History will show a stunning comeback by Europe to claim the 2012 Cup, but that barely begins to tell the story of what was an engrossing week of golf. Today's show, unfortunately, was tainted by a bit of a technical issue. We had a horrible hum running through about the first 10 minutes of the recording, which is a shame when Jeff Shackelford, John Huggan and Mike Clayton joined me to discuss what was an unusual finish to the Cup. Jose Maria Olathabal copying criticism from plenty of people, Jeff Shackelford included, for not allowing Francesco Molinari to concede his match with Tiger Woods given that the Cup had been retained by Europe. Sadly, we missed that part of the conversation, but there was still plenty of interesting stuff to discuss. We'll pick it up with John Huggan. And I'd asked Huggy about Ian Poulter's performance, particularly on Saturday afternoon when he birdied the last five holes to turn that match around and uh, and turn, well, probably the whole tide of the Cup. Here's what Huggy had to say about that, and then we'll hear from Jeff Shackelford and Mike Clayton uh, about some other thoughts on the week of the 39th Ryder Cup. Apparently, the, the European team, was it was transformed from, you know, they were walking around with their heads down, basically thinking, well, we're going to lose this and probably lose it quite comfortably, to suddenly, wow, we might just win this. And especially that was enhanced when, when the, the draw for the singles came out. I mean, my feeling when I looked at it, I thought, well, you know, there isn't a game there that, that Europe can't win. I didn't think, oh, there's absolutely no chance of Europe winning any of them. And that seemed to be the mood in the team room as well. Every one of them went out there thinking that I can beat this guy. And that, combined with, obviously, then, of course, they needed a fast start in the singles. Probably they had to win five of the top six, which is actually what turned out to be, to give themselves any kind of chance. And when you add all those things together, suddenly the guys behind are believing Mm. and Probably more importantly, or just as importantly, the Americans have got more and more pressure on them because, you know, to lose from 10-4 up, not 10-6 up, from 10-4 up, you know, was obviously they, they knew what the reaction would be in the media and the public if that happened, and sure enough, it did. It's uh, it's pretty stunning stuff. Shackelford, as a, as a US fan, you would have been feeling fairly comfortable Saturday night, although as Huggy says, I think we all sort of had that, oh, gee, that was interesting, the finish to that Poulter match, wasn't it? There was a little bit of, it's amazing how one match, one player can turn something, and we'll talk about Poulter, because I think he's he's sort of turned himself into one of you know the great Ryder Cuppers already, even at such a young age. But what was your feeling on Saturday night, Shack, as you watched that on? Oh, I, I thought it was over. I really, I just didn't see, uh, I, I just didn't see the US as well as they've been playing. Uh, losing, I, th- I thought it could be close. It may, you know, there might be a surge, but I just couldn't see the U.S. Uh, uh, not <laughs> winning uh, four and a half points. That just seemed uh, very doable. And uh, um, but then I, I guess I didn't quite uh, realize, you know, maybe how much somebody like uh, Stricker uh, or even Tiger were really just not very good. Uh, so quite it was. Uh, but it, yeah, it was. I'm, I'm glad it was. It was exciting. I was dreading the idea that we were going to have a boring 
final day. Well, nothing could be worse, could it, than the, no, the first no. four matches turning, and then that's the end of the that's the end yeah. of the whole thing. Uh, indeed, Clase, what was your thoughts Saturday night? You watched Poulter make those five birdies, and did you think mm, that does something, or were they simply too far behind in your mind at the no, end of the third day? No, I didn't think they could win because the Americans have always been better at singles. They've always won more matches of that, nearly always, perhaps not always, but um, yeah, it was. You're done if you're that far behind, I would have thought, in any Ryder Cup. That was a freakish thing that happened in Brooklyn, but that was the home team on home soil. This was the away team on away soil. You'd have bet on 20 to 8 at, you know, at 5 o'clock on Saturday night mm. rather than 13 and a half to 14 and a half. Indeed. What about Poulter, Clates? I mean, I, I think he probably will go down as when it's all said and done, when his career's over, as one of the great Ryder Cups. Certainly this performance was something special. You would have got a good up-close look at him last year at the Masters, when unfortunately in a match-play-type situation in a stroke-play tournament, he, he rolled our own Jeff Ogilvy for the Australian yeah. Masters. What makes him such a good match player, Clates? I don't know. I've never watched him play much match play, but I've never watched him play much. He played well at Victoria last year, and he's hit Kingston Heath again in a couple of weeks. He's just a good player, and he's a gutsy player, and, and, and I think he, he he's one of those guys who, rather than shriveling in that cauldron, he thrives in it. He loves it. You know, it, it just seemed like he thrived on that. It didn't matter what the crowd said to him or threw at him. He was the, the the harder they yelled, the more he loved it, and the more he was into it. So it's kind of a unique personality that really thrives in that kind of atmosphere. There's not many do, I don't think. No. Huggy, uh, he helped wind up the crowd on the first tee, a la Watson, I think, after he saw what Bubba had done, where he was having the crowd scream while he hit his tee shot. I think Poulter got in on that action. He's an unusual character, isn't he? How important was he, do you think? Obviously, that the finish on Saturday was amazing, but, but how much more does Poulter contribute than just his play, do you think, to the Ryder Cup team? Well, on, the, on this occasion, hugely. I mean, he, has, he as I said, he... He was the reason that the the mood in the in the team room was was turned 180 degrees. I mean, they went from losers to mm. possible winners. I mean, they were, you don't underestimate how much, especially in match play, is just the the belief that you might that you can beat this guy. You're not you're not going out there just going through the motions. I mean, th- that was a whole different attitude that for every player in the team, not just for Poulter, who actually didn't play that well on the Sunday. But as as he tends to do in match play, suddenly finds a way to win. I mean, the great thing about him in match play is that the strengths of his game are the things that you do not want to see in an opponent. I mean, he's got an incredible knack of holding a putt. Just at the moment, you don't want the, your opponent to hold one. Mm-hmm. And the, he's he's a very very good putter. And the old adage says that you know good putters are always hard to beat, which is certainly true in match play. And he doesn't hit the ball very well. He gets up and down a lot. That's irritating to an opponent. In stroke play, you barely notice, but in match play, if the guy up against you is doing that a lot, it, eventually it starts to really hack you off. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> Shackleford, we spoke before the uh, the Ryder Cup. It was Steve Stricker, very unusual for him, came out and said publicly, the one guy on the European team that he really hates to lose to is Ian Poulter, just really gets up his nose. That's a factor too. So I would imagine that most of the rest of the American team feel the same way. Poulter is exactly the sort of guy you do not want to lose to, isn't he? Because he is so gregarious and out there about it. I think Huggy nailed it, and he'll and he'll remind uh, the Americans for for uh, two years of everything he did, and and that's the beauty of him. Uh, you know, he he just uh, leading up to the event. You know, I mean, he was tweeting everything about his. Uh, you know, he planned out his schedule, his massages, everything was was geared around this week, uh, uh, and and he just he's obsessed with it, and it's. Uh, 
it, it's beautiful. I, I think it's fantastic that he he thrives and and yeah. To me, uh, Huggy and I argued about this uh, early in the week, and it's fascinating reading all of the analysis of the captains. And when you think about what went on, to me, the, the yeah, if 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 Europe loses, um, and Ollie benching him, uh, what was it on Friday afternoon? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think turns him into a uh, just uh, basically a captain who's questioned for for life for doing that. Uh, but he, you know, he he wins a match, and uh, that looks brilliant. And I think the same thing went uh, on the American side. It was just. Uh, you know, one or two little moves like that were, that were the difference. And I, I, you know, I'm just fascinated by Davis Love uh, uh, wrote this commentary, or Michael Bamberger probably ghosted it for him, where he he mentions uh, not putting Keegan Bradley back out on uh, Saturday afternoon because he hadn't practiced with anybody else, which is just so bizarre to me that that this grown man <laughs> can't play best ball with another grown man who who is a is a, a plus five handicap essentially. It's it's um, and to me that was sort of a, a maybe a difference in the match where each captain made one questionable move, but because Europe won, I I think uh, it turned out beautifully. Only only Davis gets questioned. Clates, have you played much team golf in that way? Is there any uh, th- that column that that Shaq's talking about was fabulous? I'm not sure whether you read it, but Davis loves. Yeah, first I thought it was absolutely fantastic and honest and yeah. much better than I expected it to be. But um, is there a certain sort of chemistry thing that happens with? I mean, sure they can all play golf. But to win a match at that level takes a bit more than that. There's got to be a chemistry and a click between partners. I thought Love's point, uh, if he'd said that to you before the matches, you'd say, well, that actually makes a lot of sense. It was all about routine, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think Phil's revealed since that he asked not to go back out in the afternoon. What was your take on that? Because Love's copped a bit from the US uh, over that that decision not to play Mickelson and Bradley in the afternoon on Saturday. I, mean, I think that I'm kind of wonder if the Huggies probably got a better answer than me, whether the the captaincy is the most overrated job in golf. If you, it's like if you, if you guys are playing well, they play well and they win. If they don't, they don't. And you can you can second guess and fiddle with teams forever, but in the end, what's going to happen is going to happen. And who knows if you put those guys that where they would have won or not? No one knows. And I, I kind of think it's the most overrated job in golf. These guys are fantastic players. Send them out and win. I, you know, I think my mum could probably captain the right of cup team to a win. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a keeper, Clayton. So. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Huggy, is he right? Is it the most overrated overrated job in golf? Well, it depends on your point of view. I mean, as Jeff points out, if you if you lose, you get second-guessed to death, and if you win, you're you're right. it doesn't really matter what you did. And and certainly Alathabal, um, I think behind the scenes, I mean, there's, all, there's so many wonderful myths about the Ryder Cup, and one of them is the... The, you know this great camaraderie in the European squad and how they all get on and they've never there's never been a problem in this and that. And that. Yes, there's <laughs> a million problems over the years, but because they win so often, no one cares. Uh, exactly. So, and that was certainly the case this past week. I mean, there was certainly a lot of rumblings behind the scenes. There was some very unhappy people. I think Peter Hansen had uh, a very frank exchange of views with uh, Ollie at one point during the week because he wasn't getting to play. And uh, so there's always things like that going on. I mean, they're all human beings. They've all got egos. In fact, they've all got very big egos. So to expect them to bear everything to be sweetness and light behind the scenes is is naive at best. Mm. Hey, Huggy, uh, not to sidetrack this, but just curious on Hanson. Yeah, he he found out he was warming up, as I understand it, and he found out he wasn't playing in the afternoon. Is that normal that that guys would go out? 
warming up, not knowing the actual lineup? Well, the, that was one of the things that we heard from you know behind the, the European scenes, if you like, that the the lack of uh, communication. I think mm. uh, Ollie was certainly living down to Seve's um, performance <laughs> at 1997, where there was all kinds of things going on behind the scenes. I mean, there was one player at Seve pinned against the locker in the locker room at one point, and another player was halfway out the door and had to be persuaded to come back. He wasn't. He was going home because uh, Seve because of Seve's you know nonsense mm-hmm. and Ollie was a bit like that apparently that there was a real lack of communication people were as you say not didn't really know what was going on or were finding out you know within 15 20 minutes of um matches as to wow. a they were playing and b who they were playing with oh hmm. that's, that's 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 yeah. so bizarre to me yeah it's just it's so humiliating for him and and just uh it's just it's just it's an odd uh Odd thing. Is it a Spanish thing, Huggy? Because as you say, I mean, let's call tax tax. Seve was not, uh, he won the Ryder Cup in 97 as captain, but I don't think anybody would suggest he was a great captain. I listened to a fabulous BBC podcast actually the other day, Huggy, and they they talked to um, Montgomery, who I know that, you know, he's not the world's greatest golf genius, but in 97, you know, Seve coming over to him on the 17th hole, telling him technically how to hit a golf shot. That's not great captaincy, is it? Is only maybe a bit in the same boat? Not not in the same way, but a bit in the same boat as far as, you know, um, as, as a captain? Well, apparently he was. I mean, I, I've got enormous respect for Alathabal as a human being, and he's got uh, got great character, and he does he tends to do the right thing, uh, you know, 99 times out of 100. Uh, he's got an impeccable record in terms of sportsmanship and all the rest of it, and, uh, even if Jeff doesn't apparently agree with that. But he's obviously, um, even subconsciously, he's, he's followed Seve's lead in some of this stuff, and it's uh, it's it doesn't work because as you, as we you know Peter Hansen being the classic example, I'm okay. I'm sure the guy wasn't playing brilliantly. I know he didn't play very well on the first day when he and uh, Laurie lost uh, five and four to Simpson and Watson. But um, you know that's going to happen if you don't tell people what's be and be upfront with them, they're going to get upset, and that's that's exactly what happened. Yeah, this one you get the feeling, Huggy. Uh, this one might have been disastrous had they lost, and all this stuff might have come out, and there would have been some bitterness, and players would have talked about some of those issues behind the scenes. Would that be on the money? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 as I said, I mean, if you win, you can. It doesn't matter what you do if you win. Yeah, but if you lose, I mean, you're you're suddenly a goat. I mean, I always go back to '97. I mean, Tom Kite, you know, was a terrific captain. Every single player has lauded him to the skies. Apparently, he was terrific on the details. He was great. He told them everything. They, they were informed. They knew what was going on. But they lost by a point, and suddenly Tom Kite becomes this pariah. Mm. You know, <laughs> he's no good. He's an idiot. He can't be. Oh, you're hopeless. You, you know, how can you not beat these guys and all the rest of it? And it's simply because you know. Europeans hold a couple more putts. Yeah, it, it's the flip side of the the wonderful side of the Ryder Cup, isn't it? I suppose, Shaq, the fact that it's so competitive, we're all so into it, and it's why it's such compelling golf. This is the flip side, isn't it? When you, when you lose and the second guessing starts, it's not so much fun. It's not, but I I think in our celebrity culture, it's reached a point where unless you just do something really awful and stupid, uh, like. Uh, uh, you know, lavender sweater vests and bad rain suits. Um, uh, or uh, you, know, you can go down the list of some of the more egregious violations. But um, I don't, I, I think ultimately, you know, I, I look at Alathaba a little bit differently after this. I, like I said, I'm disappointed. But um, somebody like Davis Love is not going to be 
tainted by this. There's going to be the second guessing this week and then for a couple more weeks. But all in all, he represented his country uh, beautifully, as you would expect. He's a gentleman. Um, he had a great team. Everybody put on a great performance. And I hope with this group we talk a little bit about the setup because it was so key. But he'll be remembered as uh, he, he, you know, he did his job. And he uh, he represented everybody beautifully, and and uh, he won't be in any way viewed negatively. I I don't think you know. Like I said, maybe for two three weeks we'll have a little bit of bickering and squabbling over uh, who could have done what. But um, in general, it's uh, I think in our world now, you, you, the captains are um, it's understood by enough people that they can only do so much. Yeah, exactly. Lavender jumpers, dear, oh, dear, I'd forgotten about that. Shaq, what a horrible image. <laughs> that that was from uh, from 2010. Whoever came up with Lavender. Let's talk about the core setup, Shaq, because it's one of the things I did want to chat to you about. Uh, what was your take on Madonna? Obviously set up with virtually no rough. There was plenty of width out there. That's what we discussed it the week before, that Davis Lovett decided he thought he had the better putting team, so give him a chance to get on the green. It certainly, uh, it certainly gave us exciting golf, didn't it? Lots of birdies, lots of low scoring we saw lots of good shots isn't that what golf's supposed to be about it is and and we talked about this with the president's cup last year and our our dream world the these cups would be played on great designs like royal melbourne and and the old course and national golf links but we know that's just uh not going to happen because europe has to uh, uh sell their course to the highest bidder and the pga of america is not very uh, architecturally savvy but uh, so they can go and play the Ryder Cup on a on a polo field almost, and it's going to be interesting. But that said, what was so interesting to me watching on television um, was just that it was it was one hundred percent about the players. You know, Huggy may say there were uh, moments that were tainted by uh, spectators, but in general, to a television viewer, this view this looked like it was about the golf, about the players. Skill was was rewarded. Uh, and to me, that just made it that much more rewarding. I think that's why people will remember this as as just one of the great events they've ever seen because you didn't feel like there was some course setup guy that tainted it. You didn't feel like uh, the Americans lost. And, you know, some people question the whole location on 17. You know, I don't know. The wind was blowing from the right. Yeah, that may not have been in the forecast. And who cares? Everybody still had to play the hole. It wasn't like it was an unfair hole location. You just there was almost nothing to quibble about with the setup and and the way it rewarded uh, both intelligence and uh, heart and skill and physical skill. So it was, to me, that's why it was just uh, such a joy to watch. Clates, this is really right up your area of expertise as both player and course architect. What was your take on Madonna? I don't think it's held up as one of the great strategic golf courses of the U.S., but the setup for this particular cup certainly seemed to produce the goods from a playing point of view, didn't it? Well, just a lack of rough. I mean, it's always... Odd for an Australian to, to see how soft greens get in America, but partly that's a product of the climate, I suspect. We're, we're so used to ha- much harder greens here. So it's so much more difficult to get the ball close to the hole. You see so many shots that look better than perhaps they are because the ball just stops where it lands or it doesn't go very far. Whereas to, to, pl- to, get, you know, to get the ball within 20 feet at Royal Melbourne sometimes is more difficult than, than it is to get the ball within six feet when there's no wind and the green's soft. Hmm. But yeah, just the lack of rough was, you know, it looked like the course was actually cut properly and sensibly. And, you know, we look back to the, or think back to the US Open, how 
forgettable that was and how forgettable it is most years because it's just dominated by guys gouging out of thick green grass. I mean, I detest it and don't think there's any place for it in golf. And hopefully someone learns a lesson that rough doesn't make for exciting golf. And In fact, it's the opposite. No rough makes for brilliant golf. We see great golf at Augusta every year. That's been the place that's always produced the most memorable shots in the game. And rough is not a part of it. No, that's exactly it. It, it allows you to recover from a somewhat wayward drive. Huggy, what was the take on the ground? I must say a 245-yard par three over water from a shoot of trees doesn't doesn't sort of stir my juices. What were the players in the talking area? What was it? What was their take on the course and the setup? Did that? I, I'm guessing they must have enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I think they did. I mean, I, I know that you know from a spectating point of view, I thought it was terrific. I mean. The, the one great thing that was restored uh, was the temptation to hit the exciting recovery shot from a place that if it if they'd grown the long grass like they normally do, they'd have been pitching out sideways, you know, and trying to make four from 90 yards like they always do in the US Open. But that that was the great thing. You saw some great shots. You saw some imagination. You saw some flair that these players, you know, rightly or wrongly, we criticise them, um, you know, for the, they don't, hit enough shots, they just play the same shot over and over and over. Well, here was their chance to, to show that they, they do have the expertise to do it, and, and some of them did. Mm. I mean, there, there were some fantastic shots played around trees and up and over trees and, and all the rest of it, and hopefully the public latched on to the, the notion that short grass doesn't necessarily make a course easier, particularly around the greens. I mean, the some of the, the chips and pitches that the players were presented with were much more difficult from tight lies than they would have been with a bit of fluff under the ball to to help them uh, get it up in the air. So, you know, all of that together, I mean, it was terrific. But it, as as you know, Jeff pointed out at the beginning, it's not the it's not the greatest golf course in the world, but it it was set up in a way that that enhanced the the competition. Competition. What sort of scores would we have been seeing, Jack? I didn't keep track, but there must have been Oof. a couple of very low sixties, almost into the fifties, yeah. with some of those some of those. <laughs> yeah, and that's when you see why they grow rough. I put out some tweets about that uh i think uh Colsarts would have uh, shot 62 right uh, at least um so uh that's of course why we we do the things we do to golf courses well we wouldn't do it but why people do it um and and you saw that if you actually let them play even on a 70 600 yard course where uh, uh the greens are are, are receptive uh, it just doesn't matter. Even with that kind of pressure, they're just so good. You're going to have these low scores, and that's what freaks people out. And it's why we, so we we stick things on the golf courses to try to prevent that because of the uh, the sad mentality of uh, of that that low scores are bad, and and uh, just that overall desire to uh, kind of hold people back. And it's why we all rail about. Uh, uh, doing something about the distance so you don't have to do those things and you can present a golf course like this uh, and have it be um, a, a great test. I, mean, I, I think without the pressure of the matches, you see probably even more low scores and maybe it's really not uh, as compelling, uh, the golf, because they're almost it's just almost too easy or, or too much of a pushover for certain players. and um, So the pressure adds a nice element to, <clears throat> to, to the golf, but 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 uh, Jeff, I, the scoring was not that wonderful. I mean, in general, the scoring was there were some good scores, and and you mentioned Colsarts. I mean, he had a he had an unbelievable score on on one day. But that's that to me was a credit to the way the course was presented. If somebody mm. had played that well, 
he should score 62. Mm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It certainly wasn't typical because I figured it out that if Colsarts that afternoon had been playing against his the, the seven teammates of his that were actually on the golf course, they would have struggled to beat him two and one. Mm. So that's how well he played. I mean, mm. and, and that was mm. not typical. It was a phenomenal performance, wasn't it? Just on an aside there, Shaq, I mean, both Huggy and Clates have sort of said, you know, you, you hope that people look and see that this is what produces exciting golf. It's a forlorn hope, is it not, that we're going to see this sort of course set up come back more into play? I, I can't see it happening myself, certainly in the States. We've had two great events, match play events, both the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup have been exciting on golf courses that have got more width than we're used to seeing and much less in the way of long grass. Do you think the message will get through? Well, the message is getting through. I think one of the really fun ones will be uh, the President's Cup next year at Muirfield Village because Fred Couples is one of the people who gets this, who who probably encouraged Davis to, to do what he did with the setup. But then he he has to he has to deal with the host next year at the yes. President's Cup, Jack Nicholas, who <laughs> even though Jack understands these principles, as for whatever reason, when people get older and they have their own golf course, they they dig in and they don't like to see those flat bellies come in and make birdies. It'll be fun to see if, if he's able to convince Jack to present Muirfield village in similar fashion. Uh, I'm guess I'm betting against Fred on that one, but um, I do think that, you know, we're just seeing more and more of this that, uh, that players are recognizing it. Now, whether the people doing the setup do is another story, you know, uh, Davis love made a quip about Kerry Haig that he, he, you know, he was able to get in there and, and, Tell the superintendent to hack down the rough because Kerry would have had four inches of uh, of rough along every hole. Yeah, indeed, indeed, interesting stuff. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. I wasn't. I don't think we were necessarily getting more of that sort of thing, but I'm going to watch now, Shaka. Perhaps you're right. Let's talk about some of the players, Clates, we watched from afar. Who stood out for you? Who did you think? I mean, it's hard to go past the last day because that's the one that's freshest in the mind. But over the three days, was were you surprised by the play of anybody in particular, Clates, or someone sort of played better than you thought, or maybe worse than you thought? What was your take on on some of the players and who stood out for you? Well, I thought the the underrated performance was Paul Laurie winning on betting Schnedeker. I mean, no one would have really picked that. Schnedeker's obviously had a great week last week or the week before, and you know, Paul Laurie was, I assume, regarded by most Europeans as the 11th or 12th man on that team, and he hammered him. I mean, five and three. Great for Huggy's book, of course. There must be a new chapter there, Huggy. <laughs> but I'm in the middle of it. You're interrupting me as I speak. <laughs> Good. So, I mean, Paul Laurie is an amazing story, really, I think. You know, he obviously was handed that open in 1999 and took a while to live down the the one that Vanderbilt gave away really was the one he won. And, you know, just a really solid, better than a journeyman, but just a really solid player who's playing some of the best golf of his career. And to go out and win that match was critical to Europe winning, really. Mm. I mean, I'm obviously Rose's parts against Mickelson were the key, but for Paul Laurie to go out and beat Brant Snedek at five and three or whatever he did was... That was really impressive, I thought. I, I agree. And as Huggy just said, uh, good putters tend to win match play, and Snedeker's probably the best putter in the world at the moment, uh, or very close to it, so it uh, makes it even more impressive. Huggy, we talked beforehand about uh, sort of looking forward to seeing how Nicholas Colsarts went. We were just discussing there how good it was for him on day one. How many putts did he lip out on Sunday that went right around the hole? There were a couple of 360s in there almost, weren't there? It was just awful to watch the poor bloke. Couldn't get anything in the hole. Well, he did the same uh, playing with Laurie the day before. I mean, to me, he was probably just hitting them a little bit too hard. I think he got a bit excited the way he played on the first day, which is understandable. 
because he was extraordinary. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, that was the the big. That was why he didn't win another match. Mm. He um, he just he wasn't getting the ball in the hole quick enough. It was a yip off between him and Johnson, wasn't it, in the singles on Sunday? Who can hit it the oh, furthest yeah. and who can yip the most parts? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Corsart's is great fun to watch, and he and he's kind of a cool kind of guy. I mean, he's uh, he went off the rails for a few years, and uh, I don't know if Mike remembers that uh, a long time ago I caddied for for Mike in the. Heineken Classic at Royal Melbourne and Colsatz was in the group and it was, yeah. impressed we were by the way he hit the ball. He had no idea how to play golf at that point, but he was a wonderful striker, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He played well. Mm. He, he must have been 18 then or something. He was a kid, wasn't he? I, you know. Did you yeah. say he lived here for a while, Clates? Lived and, and practiced his golf here? Or? I'm not sure. Oh, I thought that you'd told me that. He spent, he spent uh, three winters in Australia when, he was, uh, when yeah, his career was going off the rails slightly. Maybe he's got a teacher down here or something. Did, does he come and see someone on the Gold Coast that teaches him? Maybe or I'm not um, sure. This he was certainly up there somewhere. Yeah, I think there's some connection. Yeah, there is. I think. All that aside, so Huggy, we, we, well, we talked about Carlos. Who else stood out for you, Huggy? Was there anybody? Anybody that? Well, on the last, I thought the the best match of the day, which kind of got you know, it wasn't near the end, but it was Rose and and Mickelson. Yeah. The yeah. Cameron Toms. It was fantastic to watch, yeah. especially the, the the climax and. And let's not, um, in the midst of all the other stuff we were talking about, forget the the way that Phil Mickelson behaved over those last two, three holes. I mean, if that is any of the spectators were watching that, that was the model for how uh, a sportsman should acknowledge excellence yeah. in an opponent. I mean, he was a yeah, he was, was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Might have set himself up for a future captaincy. Do you think with all that uh, shack? Phil Mickelson? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's he's a future captain. I I I'll, I, I uh, I've got him penciled in at Beth Page in 2024, where the galleries will be wonderfully behaved. By the way, uh, and the weather will be just glorious as well. But, uh, New York. Who uh, who stood out for you, Shaq? Anybody surprise you, either good or bad? Who did you uh, who did you sort of focus on during the week? Well, uh, as you recall in our preview show, I mentioned that Keegan Bradley could either be uh, phenomenal or he could be a train wreck because he uh, is so intense and uh, he could either thrive or be a, be a, be a disaster out there. And he obviously uh, was able to thrive. So um, I think it was a fantastic breakthrough week for him. Um, and obviously, Colsarts, uh, who's now uh, going to be joining the PGA Tour um, to combat the, uh, the 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 cruel crowds here. I, I hope he's able to. <laughs> horrible things said his way, well, but um, well, yet that, another European player joining said, the PGA Tour. That'll be why he hasn't said anything about it publicly. Yeah, that's right. Ah, okay. Is he the first <laughs> Belgian to play the U.S. Tour? I think he would be, wouldn't he? Huggy, how many Belgians have played the U.S. Tour in the past? Not many. There's not been many on the European tour. Never mind the PGA tour. Philippe Toussaint ring, rings a bell, Mike. You'll remember him. Yeah, he beat Bob Shearer at four foot arm. Flory Van Donk years and years ago. <laughs> Donald Swalen. <laughs> the two. Yes. yes. Jesus, you blokes are unbelievable. I didn't think there'd been any but, Belgians but, in the past. Geeks, I'm just just a way to put my anorak on now. <laughs> yeah. uh, you learn something new every day if you walk around with your eyes and ears open. Just on Keegan Bradley, Clates, it strikes me. I know you're saying captain might be the most overrated job and there's some truth to that but uh one of the things the captain is is, is got to get the personalities right and, and and the mickelson bradley is probably the best example of that isn't he mickelson's taken bradley under his wing the last couple of years and a couple of other younger players they play a lot of money matches at, at regular tour events during the year and it's all about match play and learning some of that sort of stuff that is the one thing the captain can get right we saw hal sutton get it so 
horribly wrong in O2 when he put Mickelson and Woods together, which most people just said was a dumb idea at the start. But but getting those personalities right is pretty important, isn't it, Clates? Well, it is. But, I mean, I think... I mean, Mickelson and Tigers should be able to beat anyone. I mean, I mean, I thought Sutton got ridiculous in the line for that. That, that wasn't such a horrible decision. I mean... They hate each other, Clates. Hate well, each other. I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, Palmer and, Nicholas, Palmer and Nicholas didn't get on that well, and they won every team's match they ever played in, and... Hogan and, Hogan and Sneed run the World Cup a few times. And, I mean, just because you don't, don't like each other doesn't mean you can't beat the hell out of it, someone else. I mean, you, you know, I thought... I didn't think that was such a ridiculous idea. I guess it was in retrospect, but... I mean, I think if you'd put in Tiger and Phil together this week, they might have done some good. I don't know. I mean, it's just... Well, that was the other thing. Was it was that, was that the Tiger contributed nothing? This week, yes. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that, you know, that was the other big thing that happened really was that he was no good at all in terms of winning. He looked like he had a lot of good shots, but... Great back nine player, Huggy, seemed to me. Played the back nine phenomenally each day, just took him nine holes to get going. Well, here's the, this is a classic example of how you, you need to look closer than just the results of the matches. You need to look and yeah. see what the numbers are. And I mean, he, Tiger made seven birdies in the, that match against Colsarts, but you know it didn't really matter because Colsarts made whatever, 10 or 11 or whatever it was he made. Yeah, so, you know, his timing wasn't good. But there's still, I mean, I, I wrote a piece for a newspaper up here the, the week before the, the Ryder Cup saying that, you know, Tiger doesn't really care enough. And then you know, that was, for me, it was it was confirmed. He never really looked engaged, you know, fully. And the bit at the end, you know, to get back to that, I mean, that was really odd. Did, you, did he really look as if he was trying very hard on that putt at the last? I mean, it was the most appalling putt. I mean, the biggest pool you've ever seen in your life. He missed the hole by a couple of inches. And I've never seen him do that before. Well, the chippy certainly tried on that. I, I agree with you that the putt looks like, yeah. I think he was expecting it to be conceded. And when it wasn't, it was like, oh, well, buggy you then. You bang, missed it. You, yeah. you can have yours. Pick it up. Let's go. Uh, Maybe so. I don't think we'll ever find out because Tiger's never going to tell us. No, he's not. But it would seem pretty clear, didn't you think, Shaq, that sort of, you know, he accepted the fact they were going to play the match to the end. But after he chipped it to sort of that close, he expected a concession. And when it didn't come, uh, he just seemed to say, well, well, buggy, then, you know, I'll, I'll smack this somewhere up near the hole and you can pick yours up and we'll go. That's how it looked from, from where I sat. That's how I read it, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah indeed. You can't blame him, can oh, you, well, it must It must be right, then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Two of us. You can't blame him for that, can you? Clates under the circumstances, you know, nah. putting for uh, for whatever. Um, what about the Steve Stricker, Shaq? I mean, we talk about uh, Tiger, and of course he was paired with Stricker for a lot of it. He's, he played on his own for much. Stricker was very disappointing, wasn't he? Particularly Stricker and Furyk are probably going to bear a fair bit of the fair bit of the uh, the responsibility from the fans and the media. Well, I, I just have never been a big uh, believer in the captain's picking on experience and I, I think uh, Paul Azinger's uh, often praised uh, changes to the Ryder Cup to give the captain four selections may have backfired this year uh, because uh, I, I would rather have seen them just go off a, a points list because uh, I, I didn't really sense those two were going to do much and they didn't do much and um, I think the Ryder Cup is uh, better suited for, for a young guy uh, with a little more fire and, and a little more power, and, and um, uh, I don't think we'll ever see those two play in a Ryder Cup again. I think we'll see them uh, firmly uh, entrenched behind the wheel of a cart uh, from now on, and that's that's fine uh, fine by me. Yeah, absolutely. How would you feel if you were Jim Furyk? Clates, what a horrible year for him. Throws away the U.S. Open, throws away World Golf Championship, and uh, has a horrible horrible uh, Ryder Cup. Hasn't been a, a terrific year for him, has it? 
Oh, Dan Jenkins had that great tweet. Was it something like he spent all summer jumping out of an aeroplane without a parachute? <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. Yeah. Oh, Jenkins, it is gold, isn't it? It is gold. Well, I think we can all agree it was a fabulous week of golf and uh, and uh, just an amazing result. Huggy, I didn't think they could top 2010 Celtic Manor. You were at both. Did this one top uh, Celtic Manor? Yeah, I mean, this is... Every time I go to the Ryder Cup, I think, how can it possibly get any better? And But this one is the best one I've ever seen, and, and I, I find it hard to imagine how the next one is ever going to be better than that, especially if it snows at Glen Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting, won't it? We might see a lot of those uh, those yellow golf balls. Shaq, one of the things, we'll finish up on this because I know it's something you've, lots of people have commented on. There's been a fair bit of Twitter chatter about it. Um, it just doesn't seem to get through, does it? This is obviously the most compelling form of golf. Why are we going to watch 72 holes of stroke play at the Olympics? Mm. What are we going to do about it? There does seem to be a bit of a push on. There's been a couple of suggestions about Facebook pages and, and campaigns and whatnot. Is there anything that can be done to change the format for the 2016 Olympics, do you think? We, we have to think of a way that allows the International Golf Federation people who stuck us with this format to save face. That's really they, all this is about. They know the format stinks, uh, but they have to be able to save face with the IOC, and they have to be able to go to the IOC and say, uh, you know, we have to change for this reason. Um, and, and I've talked to somebody, uh, I, I have to be careful how I describe them, but um, who's who's familiar with the IOC and 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 is hates this format and feels very strongly that uh, if it's explained to them that the current format stinks for television will not be popular with the fans and um, is just going to be dead on arrival that they will they will be fine they will not hold it against golf if golf says you know we 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 got in the Olympics but this format isn't. Uh, isn't going to work. They will not hold it against the sport. And so they need to, we need to help them figure out a way to save face. Cause that's all this is about. I think there's a, uh, a consensus that the format is no good. I think that, um, I don't, I don't think it's really, uh, even really players are even defending it. The ones who kind of stuck us with this because they did go to the players for this. Uh, I don't really hear them, uh, defending it at this point. So, uh, and a Facebook page might work too. Huggy, didn't Peter Dawson say just after the open that, you know, there was there was some there was certainly a hint in a comment that he made that you know maybe we'd all prefer to see match play, um, but they'd have to get it past the IOC. Is that the difficulty? Is it the IOC and not golf? That's obviously they presented them with the wrong format to start with. But is there a chance we can change it? Well, I would hope so. I mean, I'm with Jeff on this. I think you know, the 72 hole stroke play is. You know, the 72 hole stroke play only becomes interesting when it turns into match play near the end. So, let, you know, why waste time? Let's make it match play, or at least a variation of match play, or have match play involved right from the start. I mean, uh, th- there's got to be a better way than this very, very dull <laughs> format that they've come up with so far. And the inner workings of the, the IOC, I think, uh, I don't think any of us are qualified to, to comment <laughs> on that. But I would no, hope but- that uh, Dawson has got some influence and is able to do something about it. The one, the one big IOC problem apparently is that they are obsessed with beds in the Olympic Village. You, you know, you would think that that this would not be a big issue. And what I, I wrote today on my blog, you know, I I think golf has to go and look at some of these players and and actually consider how many of them will stay in the Olympic Village. And you know, I don't see Luke and Diane Donald uh, uh, putting the kids with a nanny and bunking up in the village. You know, I don't see. 
I just don't see it. I don't see a lot of the players. Um, I, I think they'll rent condos. There's a condo building, you know, right by the course. They'll probably rent places there. Uh, I, I just don't think maybe the women will take advantage of the Olympic Village more. And obviously the men who are who are uh, single or who are young and just want to take in the experience of the village will do it. But um, that really is what I'm told is a, is a concern because the 60 player field is not workable for a uh, match play event. It, 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 it creates a lot of yeah. problems. It needs to get to 64 at least. Exactly. Clayton, I mean, Jeff Ogilvy may be in the frame come 2016. Have you spoken to him about Olympic golf and his take on it? I, don't know. I no. can't, can't imagine he would have, would, would stay in the Olympic village. Would he, if he got picked for the team? I don't think Julie would let him. No, no, he wouldn't. But, um, <laughs> I, I think he would. He told, he told me he would. He'd love to stay in the village. That would be the highlight of the, yeah. the week for him. You heard what goes on after competitions over Huggy. We'd all like to stay in the village yeah, if all of that's true. Yeah, given the, the extraordinary number of uh, condoms that's that they exactly apparently right. go through. Um, <laughs> My, um, why wouldn't he use the old downhill cut format? I don't know. That's the best one. That's that's by, so a, a stroke match play, three guys in a team, you know, Tiger Woods will fight out with Roy McIlroy and McDowell and the other, Darren Clark or something for the gold and silver medal, maybe, or, or Australia. The problem with stroke players is that the best player is probably not going to win. Mm. Well, McIlroy and Woods aren't that likely to win. And every other sport in the Olympics, the best <laughs> player or the best athlete normally wins it. The fastest guy wins the races and the pretty much everyone knows who they are before they start. And, but in golf, I mean, Sean O'Hare could win the gold medal, which is great for Sean O'Hare, but golf needs Tiger Woods and McElroy to be fighting for the gold and silver medal, really. So the one that. We have to find out which team Rory's going to play oh, for as well. Start, don't start that. Oh. Four years of that to look forward to, the poor bugger. <laughs> dear, oh, dear. Uh, from a golf perspective, though, gents, isn't it important for golf fans and for the players, if the gold medal is going to mean something, the format has to be one that golfers engage with. Don't you think, Shaq? To me, that seems to be... I know the whole idea of being in the Olympics is so that China will give a bunch of money to golf right? because it's an Olympic sport. That's the real reason behind it. But if it's going to be there, shouldn't it engage golfers as well? I think we're going to have this outrageous situation where golf will be in the Olympics and lots of golfers won't be that interested. It'll be a bit like the tennis. It's incredible, and that's what's that's what, if you you talk to golfers and they ask what the format is, you tell them, and they go, "Well, who cares?" Yeah, it just especially right while Olympics when you watch it, you know the the. And I had an argument with Ty Vota about this uh, earlier this summer. Uh, he went to the beach volleyball. I went to the beach volleyball in London, and I said, "Now, now, Ty, did you watch in the teams?" You know the dynamics when when the Olympics are on the line and and there's a medal and, and beach volleyball is a fantastic sport because there's so much uh, <laughs> a patience required of of your partner because they screw up a lot and you know that's it's interesting when they normally play beach volleyball well when you put the Olympics into the equation it becomes intense and there are all these fascinating dynamics and so you you. You think of golf and you know team golf and partners play and and then you throw in the Olympics and and how compelling that could be on television and then you know that that most golfers know this well we're going to go into this with a core golf fan not really caring and it's it's going to die it just will not right. survive if if we can't at least bring core golfers to be excited about Olympic golf okay time out time out are you telling us that you oh, went to we go. beach volleyball to study the tactics. <laughs> 
Well, no, I, well, I've never I, heard I, it I, live, I live in the home of beach volleyball. Remember, it was created <laughs> in Santa Monica. So I actually, if, if so, I grew up playing so. the sport. I know the sport. And, and you know, it, I can it's, see, yes. I, you'd look good in a two piece. I must admit. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. You, you, uh, you have an imagination like Monty, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very, very svelte check. That's an image that is going to stay with me. Huggy now, sadly that and, and, and a lavender jumper. Shaq, that, yeah. that's what I'm taking out of today's show. <laughs> you and a two-piece and the lavender jumper. Gee, lucky me, and I've got the whole day to get through. Gents, I think we might leave it there. It has been fabulous to catch up. I think we're all agreed one of the great golf events and can't wait for another two years to roll around. And it's, uh, it, it just, it's the most compelling golf to look forward to each and every time, the Ryder Cup, and this one certainly lived up to the hype. Huggy, congratulations, you lucky bugger, for being there. I'm, uh, I'm sure you enjoyed it. Thanks for taking some time to chat to us today. My pleasure. Yeah, Shackelford, always great to talk to you. We'll keep following your blog, and we'll see how long the uh, the Ollie issue can last for on the interweb. <laughs> no comment. Thank no you. No comment. You must be just about done by now. And Mike yeah. Clayton, always fabulous to catch up with you, mate. Best of luck today. You're uh, you're right. Yes, you you got to try and overcome Kim Olsen, the the man Olsen. from Parts Unknown, who's winning everything on the Legends Tour here in Australia. Man, no one's ever heard of it. Turned fifty and. Beats us like a drum every day. That's right. Eight eight times he's won on the Legends Tour this year. And as I said, there's still blokes on the Legends Tour who've, uh, who've got no idea who he is. So good luck today, mate. Hope you play well. Hope you hold, uh, hold all those putts that uh, that you told me weren't going in yesterday. It'd be great to see. Best of luck with it. And thanks for taking some time today. Thanks, mate. And that wraps it up for State of the Game. Thanks for tuning in. Do hope that you've enjoyed it. Looking forward to your company again when we come back, probably in a couple of weeks' time. Won't be as interesting, of course. But uh, what have we got to look forward to, Shaq? The, well, nothing really, have we? Oh, how could you say that? We have the fries.com open coming up. Oh, of course. Yeah. Please. Yeah. What's what's the web.com to remember? The neediest kids open, I think. The, the web. Uh, that's also on the schedule. Well, There's a lot to look forward to. That's this week. And I'm off to Turkey on Sunday that's night. That's right. Oh, so there you what's go. That Make more you, money. Eight players, $6 million purse or something. Huggy, is that right? Yeah, I think it's a $6 million more than I'm getting for going there, that's for sure. <laughs> and it, it's the final of something. And I'm watching, the, I'm watching the tournament in Las Vegas on the TV right now. That looks really oh. funny. Oh, dear. What's the, just on the turkey thing, Huggy, isn't it the World Golf Finals? What's it the final of? Do we know? I have absolutely <laughs> no, no idea what, it, what it's about. I have no idea of the format. I, I, I couldn't tell you the eight players. I could maybe tell you half of them. But uh, it's going to be good for uh, a couple of interviews. That's why I'm going. Just toss the coin for the money by the sound of it. Yet another silly... Yeah, I'm a complete whore when it comes right down to it. Yeah, well, nothing wrong with that, mate. Turkey's a nice place. The World Amateur Team Championship's on in Turkey at the moment, too. So maybe you might get to uh, catch up on a bit of that. Enough out of us. uh, That wraps it up for today. Looking forward to your company again next time on State of the Game.